Welcome back to A Thousand Names for God. My name is Rick Alexander. I am the host of this here podcast. So today I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to air a workshop that I did. And those of you that have been listening for a while probably heard me probably about 10 weeks or so, a couple months ago, talking about this workshop when it was coming up. So I'm going to air the content that I provided in this workshop. I did cut out the Q&A portion because I like to save that for people that actually attend the live events. You know, there's some intimate questions that get asked. And I will say, you know, over the last couple of months, I've been fortunate enough to do some live talks and and some workshops. And there's some kind of magic that happens when complete strangers come together and talk about things that are inherently meaningful or important to them. It's really cool to see where that goes. So about half of this I cut out for this episode, but all the content I'm going to provide. And also, there's a couple of parts where I actually show people a picture of the hero's journey just so they can orient themselves to what we're talking about. So if you if you have no experience with the monomyth with Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, you can just google it real quick and look at the phases. They usually lay it out over a circle. It'll be like the first picture that comes up. And so if you want to know what I'm talking about if you have no context, that could just uh, help give you a little bit of context as I'm talking through it here in the workshop. Also, uh, starting last week, I started a sign-up sheet. I'll put it in the show notes of this episode as well. I'm putting together a six-part lecture series on transformation, psychologically and spiritually. What is it that's happening? What does it feel like when we're going through the transformative process? Cognitively, what's happening with us? I find that although we've all been through our own sort of transformative experiences, I find that if you have language to, if you can add language to it, and if you can add coherent steps to it and coherent narratives, it just helps you understand it a little bit better. And of course, I'm gearing this toward the helping profession. So coaches, guides, healers, therapists, people like that, that really want to understand this process of transformation from a psychological and spiritual perspective. And also I'd say just anybody that's really interested in doing their own kind of transformative work. So if you sign up for that ahead of time, I'm going to release it sometime this fall whenever I get done filming all of it and putting it all together. So if you sign up uh, for everybody that signs up early, I'm going to send a 10% off discount. So if it's something you're interested in, um, please head to the link in this bio and sign up. Without further ado, Let's talk about identifying your call to adventure. All right, everyone. Well, hey, thanks for joining me uh, to talk about this stuff. It's super meaningful to me. It's been super valuable in my own life. Um, So hopefully I, I can share some things. Uh, that have been helpful. Of course, I, I also study this in an academic setting. I'm getting my PhD in comparative mythology and just uh, I'm super interested. The, the thing about the hero's journey, which we'll talk about, is that it reaches into every single aspect of life um, it, it, and it's endless, right? The more you want to pull on that string, the more you'll, you'll learn about yourself. Uh, calling in from the Netherlands. Hell yeah, that's cool. Um, all right. Now, as you're sitting here, I want you to, again, I'll just invite you to close down the eyes, perhaps sink into the chest a little bit, right? So sink from the head into the heart. I'm going to talk about a lot of intellectual ideas today, but you know, if they don't resonate with you, then they're useless. So I want you to listen with your body today. So I'm going to, I'm going to read a quote to you, and I just want you to feel it in your body. I want you to feel where it registers, um, see what it feels like as you're sort of connecting to what's true about you. So here's our quote, a calling from the soul comes as a mixed blessing, like good news and bad news. So it typically evokes strong ambivalence. It might feel like a challenge that you dread, and at the same time, the one that you have longed for. Cool. Now, if you want, you can sort of open your eyes, come back into the room. What I, the reason I wanted to do that is because nothing I'm going to talk to you about today is dogma. Okay, so just if it doesn't work for you, just let it go. If it doesn't make sense to you, let it go. If you have questions, ask them as I'm going through this. Again, I've wrestled with every ounce of this content. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not against questioning it. You know, if you have questions about it, I want this to work for your life because that's what's great about myth is because it, it has so many inroads to our lives today. 
So real quick, for those of you that have your camera on, who has heard of the hero's journey? Hands up if you have. Okay, great. So everybody to some degree. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to share a picture of it the way that you'll normally see it rendered as a circle. And I just want you to look at it for a minute. I'll talk about it. But I want to make sure we're orienting and we're talking about the same thing here. So you all should be able to see that now. Great. So just take a look here. What we're going to be talking about today is this top part, right? The call to adventure. I want you to notice how when you answer the call, it brings you into the unknown. That's going to be important for this. Um, I also want to point out that in the hero's journey, there tends to be before the call is answered in this first section, there's what's called the refusal of the call. So the call and the refusal are two sides of the same sword. So we're going to talk a lot about that today because we, we often refuse our calls to adventure before we actually get going on them. Um, and for those of you that just want a little bit of background, this hero's journey that you're looking at right now is the structure that sits at the bottom of every single story you've ever heard, right? Every myth, um, religious stories. And what the reason it sits at the bottom of every story you've ever heard is because we live this story out, right? So when you tell a story in particular, and it resonates with you, it's because there's something of you in that story, right? So the structure is showing up in, in all of these different mythologies. And if, if there's stories that don't have this structure, not that things won't, you know, the mentor will be, things will be changed around, but this is the basic structure. If this structure is not there, I would put forward that you don't know about that story because it didn't resonate with people enough to be passed on, right? So we pass on these stories because there's wisdom in them for us for now right for this moment right here they apply to us always so if you'll notice there's a call to adventure goes into the unknown and then down into the bottom where there's what's called the the typical underworld experience right this is this is hell on earth <laughs> this is confusion this is not knowing where you are this is things going wrong this is depression and eventually if you if you stay in here long enough and you're purified to use a mythical motif you'll transform right and then the gift you'll get for having gone through that transformation is some kind of you notice at the top here gift of the goddess right this is just a this is just a boon right this is the medicine you get for having done your time in the underworld for having gone through it in a forthright manner um, for having gone on your individual hero's journey okay so so what we're talking about then is answering our call to adventure okay the, our personal authentic call to adventure um so if you orient toward your adventure incorrectly right if you orient toward your life incorrectly it's likely that you're going to miss a lot of um a lot of the gold that that's there for you a lot of the meaning that's there for you I'm going to read a quick paragraph out of my book, um, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache, because I, I built a lot of this content off of this book. Um, but this comes from chapter 10, and it's called, What If It's Not the Worst Thing to Happen to You? And this will, this will help prove the point that I'm talking about a little bit. One of the most difficult parts of life is accepting that your invitation to live deeper and be more can feel like the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to you. Many of us go through these difficulties all the time, but we frame them in a way that isn't necessarily helpful. And because of this, they don't feel much like an invitation at all, right? So this is the disposition that I'm talking about. Our pain often becomes something we must simply get through or survive. We shouldn't forget that many people's lives are made much better because someone else went through something painful and refused to let others live with that same fate. People start charities, march against injustice, and generally strive to make the world a better place because they cannot stand to stay on the sidelines while others suffer. There isn't a thing you enjoy in this life that someone before you has not previously suffered for. So what I'm putting forward in that paragraph is this idea that we are in this reciprocal relationship with life. We get handed circumstances that most of us would never choose in a million years, but there's also a gift in that that we'll eventually get to give to somebody else. And if you figure out how to get through your underworld experience, there's going to be nothing more meaningful to you than being able to give that gift to other people. I, I promise you that. So it seems to be that if we go through life 
in the sort of way that most people in modernity, modern culture tend to go through life, which is clinging to happiness and rejecting our suffering, then we're not, we're going to miss out on the fruit that the suffering actually has to offer us. And I know that's easier said than done, especially when you're actually suffering, um, but that doesn't make it less true. So there, we actually want to improve our relationship with suffering. We don't want to reject it altogether because there's always something that it has for us, right? It's uniquely human to be able to add pain to our, or add purpose to our pain, right? That's something that, that humans have the ability to do. So just be thinking about that in the background as we got, go through this. When I talk more about the underworld later, I'll talk about Michael Mead and he has a great quote. He said, the wound in one person can become the door through which everyone can find the center of life again, right? And when we talk about the center of life, we're talking about essence. We're talking about what's essential, right? That's why we talk about the heart, the heart's in the center of your chest, right? So the edges are all of your identities, all of the things you convince yourself that other people need, um, the things you think that are going to make you get belonging and love in the world, right? What we're talking about today, a genuine call to adventure is going to bring you to the center of who you are. It's going to actually probably cost you a lot of your edges, a lot of your identity and stuff like that. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, so I want to ask you three questions, and I'm just going to give you a moment to think about these as I ask them. And actually throughout this whole thing, I've got different reflective questions just to help kind of make you think a little bit. Um, but I want you to think about this and you know, if you have to close down the eyes, whatever helps you think about it. But um, I want you to think about it in terms of what's true for you, not what you want to be true for you, okay? Um, so here's the first question, right? Is this life an adventure that you get to go on or is it a trial that you have to endure? I think unconsciously, a lot of us tend to treat it as a trial. And when this is what I mean by having the wrong disposition toward your life, you know, if we, um, I personally bend a bit towards cynicism. Like if I'm not aware, if I'm not cultivating consciousness, I'll, I get pretty cynical about the world, especially now when I'm like looking at the media and, and the, the world that we're presented with. So what I want to present is that when we consciously trust our life, that's when the adventure can begin. Okay. We have to cultivate this unconditional trust and all of this stuff is really going to matter because, you know, if it's not an adventure, then what are we talking about right now? Right. If this whole thing is a trial that you have to endure, then what the hell are we even talking about? Um, so, but I think that that's sort of the unconscious disposition of a lot of us. Right. So what we're trying to do here, one of the, our tasks as people who are interested in viewing life this way is cultivating this unconditional trust in life, that the thing that you're being presented with is the thing that you need to grow, right? That's what you're trusting. And what's really hard for people in modern culture, for example, is trusting that is trusting in hell, right? When you're in hell, when you're in, a, in your underworld experience or something really difficult, this is our clinging to happiness, rejecting suffering experience. So we're actually having to cultivate this unconditional trust that what's being presented to us is actually what we need. Um, and if it's not what you need, again, it could be that life is sort of inviting you into a more expansive existence, but you're rejecting it because you don't like the way the invitation feels, tastes, looks, or something along those lines, right? Um, we don't control the terms by which life invites us onto our adventure, right? And that's really, that's a difficult pill to swallow, but it's, it's part of it. And when we talk about the different ways that we're called, that's going to become more important. Um, yeah, so it's just trusting that we're being presented with the material we actually need. Okay, question two. Um, do you believe that you came into this world as a blank slate? Or does your soul have something particular to give? What's your, what's your honest belief about that? As you're thinking about it, think about this particular time in history that we're in and ask yourself, like, what is it that you see that others don't see? Like, what are you uniquely aware of? Sometimes we don't trust that about ourselves. I can't tell you how many meetings in the military I sat in just thinking, 
why the fuck are we talking about this? Like, I, I, I felt as though there were so many more fruitful things we could be talking about. So maybe it's not one thing that you see. Maybe it's constantly a certain situation you're in. You constantly feel like mm, I could do this better or I feel like we could we're missing. We're missing the fruit here. Can't tell you how many times I've sat in church and been like, we're going to talk about this with and miss the fruit. Like, we're not even talking about what's real about this lesson. That's crazy. Um, sometimes our, our call is hidden in there. But it's a mythical motif that you have certain gifts that the world needs, right? And so your life then is the unfolding of those gifts, right? If you are to read myth, there's never this idea of what we have in modern culture, which is tabula rosa, which is which means blank slate in Latin. This is a modern idea that we we come into the world as a blank slate and we can be, do, or have whatever it is that we want, right? Um, what I want to present to you is that that's I don't think that's true. I really don't. I, I don't think you can be whatever you want to be. Now, from a technical perspective. Perhaps you could, like I could go be an accountant, right? The, the options available, the doors open, I could go to school for it. And I could just watch my, my vitality and my soul just get pulled right out of me. So the truth is I'm not here for that, right? It's not that I couldn't from a technical perspective, um, but I would be missing out on something. So I wanna talk about the idea of vocation in this. So vocation is not profession, right? Vocation is somewhere, is going to be found somewhere around your unique gifts, okay? So what's been given to you and your ability to serve other people, right? And so when you serve other people with your gifts, that middle section, uh, if this were a Venn diagram, would be your vocation. A lot of us think about our purpose and things in terms of profession because we have such a material world. So we look at everything through material. But when I talk about a call to adventure, it's often that we're being called to vocation. And if vocation and profession overlap, then we made it, right? That's amazing. But I would also present that if you really, really understand your vocation, that you can do that in almost any context that you want. So really scan your life and think about the gifts that have been given to you. The hero's journey was a gift to me, right? There, there's no doubt about it. I was in a place, was getting out of the military, um, and I was like, wanted to kill myself, but didn't have the courage to do it. And so I was sort of stuck in this liminal space of not knowing how to be in my life. And I watched a lecture on the hero's journey and I, and I was able to contextualize my own underworld for a minute. And, it, and, it, and all of a sudden I started realizing that I had answered a call a while back and I wasn't being faithful to that call any longer. And that I was suffering because I wasn't being faithful to that call. And so me sharing these ideas with you right, is kind of what I'm talking about. This was a gift. It was given to me. I, I didn't do anything to earn it. I stumbled upon the hero's journey and it changed my life. And so the more people that I can help contextualize the things that they're going through, you know, the, the better uh, I feel about that. It's just an incredible opportunity to do. So, um, yeah, so, so that'll, that's that question, okay? Are you a blank slate? Or do you particularly have something to give? And I would say also too, think about the times you've been born into, whether you feel like that's an accident or whether you feel like the people that are around you, the people in your life actually need what you have, actually need your gifts. Um, I think that they do. Okay, question number three. Do you have to live, must you live how you do not want to live? Or are you free to choose? What are your true beliefs about this? There was a time where I was like trying to decide, do I stay in the military? Do I take a State Department job? Both of those were going to offer me the material success I needed to not have to change my lifestyle at all. But I kind of wanted to be a writer and a speaker. And I asked myself that question. It's very interesting. It's like, do I, okay, so I'm thinking about taking this job, which is not what I want, right? I'm thinking about taking it because I feel like there are other values that other people are telling me are important that I should, that I should prize. And so then the question is, do I actually feel that I don't, that I have to live how I don't want to live? I think a lot of us are walking around with that unconscious programming that we must choose a life that we don't want to live. Often the hero has to trust a truth that is different or deeper than the culture that they were born into. So they have to learn to stand on their own values, even if that means betraying 
cultural, societal, or familial values, right? And um, so what I would present is that you are free to choose whatever you want in life. You can answer any call that you want, right? You can do anything you want with this life, but there's a lot of societal and uh, familial conditioning that tends to keep us from answering, uh, from, from standing on, yeah, soul has something to give. I totally feel that way too. Um, there's a lot of conditioning that keeps us um, from answering our call to adventure. And here's what's even more interesting, right? If you prize your value, you, know, you have an intrinsically held value system, right? And, and what that means is there are things to you that are important to you specifically. And if you, uh, if you betray those values, your conscience is going to tell you about it. You're, you're gonna, that's the Christ within, right? They're, they're gonna, you're gonna feel the sense that this isn't your path. You're gonna feel guilt. Who knows what you're going to feel? And our society has certain values that we, that we also think are important. And your values and your family's values or society's values aren't going to overlap 100%. I'm sure of it. And so you're actually at some point going to have to make a decision that what's true for you has to be more important than what's true for the people around you. And when you make that decision, this is answering your call, there is other people in your life are going to treat you as if you're abdicating responsibility, okay? Just think about right now what happens if you go against the collective, what they really think you should do, okay? They're going to treat you as if you're the bad guy or the bad person, right? They're going to treat you as if you're abdicating responsibility for your life, though what's, that's the exact opposite of what's actually happening. Right? What's actually happening is you're deciding that what's true for you is the most important thing. And that's pretty uh, difficult for other people who have spent their life abandoning themselves to understand, right? And so I'll, I'll say this more, but you're at some point have to just come to terms with the fact that you're going to be a bit misunderstood in your in your personal hero's journey but here's the other thing you're answering calls that are important to you right you're prioritizing your value system because this that we're talking about is your adventure and so it has to be about you it has to bring you into the fullness of who you actually are and so if you find that you are uh on some journey some adventure and it feels like you're being asked to subjugate what's true about you, to repress what's true about you, to not speak up, to not, to not honor your truth, we'll say. It's not your adventure. Right? We, can, we can be sure of that. And so this is what's happening. Um, have you ever seen Alice in Wonderland? Just real quick. Somebody watch the movie or read the book? Okay, cool. I would go watch it if you want. I'm like writing a commentary on it and it's just the hero's journey is incredible. But the point is, you know, Alice is being, she's being proposed to. And so what's happening is every, her whole, she's like, I don't want to marry this guy. This doesn't even interest me. But her whole family and all of her friends are around. They're like, you have to, you have to say yes. This is what we do here, right? This is your culture. This is your family. So you have to go, you have to take this job. You have to get married. You have to do this thing. And she sees a rabbit that nobody else sees. And what's being symbolized right there is, is her truth. She sees a truth that nobody else can see. And when she follows it, it takes her through the threshold into the unknown and on her hero's journey, right? So, so we have to elevate and prize what's real and true for us, or it's not going to be our journey, right? Unfortunately. And then the, the thing to, to know about this too, is that answering the call is actually the easy part, you know, even though it doesn't feel it like we're going to refuse it. It's hard. People are not going to understand. We're going to feel misunderstood. But once you answer the call, then you go to Wonderland, you know, where reality makes no sense at all, right? Then you go into the unknown. I'll, I'll get into that in a bit, but I just want to, I want to put that out. So just know that answering your call doesn't necessarily make your life easier, right? It's actually much harder when nobody else sees the truth that you see. It's actually much more difficult. Um, but this life is your adventure, right? And so no one else has to be happy with it at the end of the day. Nobody else has to be content with what you've done or happy with the life that you've lived and and i'll say this too a true hero's journey is going to test you in unimaginably excruciating ways mentally and physically and it's also going to bring you everything you want that you don't know that you want 
um, it will bring you into the fullness of who you really are. Okay. It's about maximizing the breadth and depth of what's incredible about you. And the world won't understand that. Okay. So let's talk about the qualities of the call, right? So what's it like in your life when a call starts to show up? So a genuine call to adventure, remember at the top of the circle, known world is going into the unknown, right? So what that means is if it's a genuine call, at some point, it's going to cause an upheaval of your life, right? That's what it means to go into the unknown. Now, there's something important to understand here about human psychology, which is our brains have two functions. We have meaning making and we have survival. And if you don't survive, you can't make meaning. And so what that means is that the survival function is about 300,000 years older than the meaning making function. And so what that means is that survival is going to be the most important thing in your mind until you consciously um, decide to override that in some way. But if you think about the known world, it's as safe as it can be, right? So that's safety. So that's survival. So there's a huge part of your, of your function that's going to resist going into the unknown. It's going to resist an upheaval of the call. And that's one of the reasons that we refuse the call in the first place, because it is going to bring us into the unknown. You know, if you, if you really stand on a value that you have that's different than the society or collective around you, into the unknown you go. You have no idea what's going to happen in that place, right? And this is the adventure. And, and adventure is the perfect word for this because if you've, I, here's an, I go on a yearly adventure, like I try to anyway. Um, and so the last one I went on, I missed last year as we all sunk into a hole of nothingness in the pandemic. But the year before that, I rode my bike from Maine to North Carolina. And one of the things in the winter, and one of the things that I really love about a true adventure is that you're in it. You're in the unknown. You actually have no, see in our regular life, we don't know what's going to happen moment to moment. Like right now, you have no idea what's going to happen in one second from now, but we can convince ourselves that we have this modicum of control because we can air condition our house and we can, we have walls around us that keep us relatively safe and we have society right outside of that. And so we convince ourselves that we're not in the unknown. But the thing about an adventure is that it is completely unknown to you. And so, again, this is why it's so important to cultivate that unconditional trust in life. And I want to say something else, too, which is this idea of, okay, we're in the known, and then we step into the unknown, right? And we try to stabilize ourselves in the unknown. And then the territory of the unknown grows around us as we map it out, right? And this is something like optimal human functioning. So you think about as we are clawing our way out of the animal kingdom, we map out a campsite, that's our known world. And then we map out a village, and then we know that world, right? And then we map out a city, and then we map out a state and a country, you know, and we keep going out, out, out. And we keep expanding the domain of our world. And so this is what's happening. You're going into the unknown, but it's not going to be that way forever. And the gift that you'll have go, that you'll get from going into the unknown and, and answering your call is that you're going to map out more territory of life. And so your, your capacity to handle life is actually being increased as you push into the unknown. And that is exactly how humans function optimally. That that I just explained is exactly what's happening if you're in a flow state. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've all experienced being in a flow state. Well, what happens in a flow state is when you're rooted in what you know and you're pushing into the unknown. If you go too far into the unknown, you won't be in flow, you'll be in chaos, right? If you suck at surfing, you're not gonna get in a flow state by surfing. You have to be in what you know, but then you're pushing into the unknown. Right. So and you know, when you're in a flow state, your ability to make decisions is increased. Your capacity for understanding life is like you're getting continuous insight. Um, and so that's where you want to be as a human. So it, it's actually recognizing where your life is, you know, what opportunities in life are you not accepting because of the change that they're going to require of you. Right. Just a question worth asking yourself, because oftentimes we have calls that sit right in front of us. Um, and so often we don't see it because it's right in front of us and we don't feel ready. And the truth is that a true hero's journey is going to, remember, it's going to call you into a more expansive version of you. You're right. You're not ready, 
right? That is true that you are not ready. And that's why you're going to die fundamentally, right? That's why there's a death and a rebirth process in the underworld, because you're not ready. And so you actually have to increase your capacity. And so you have to answer the call anyway, even not being ready. Remember, this is that this is that trust. That's why this cultivating this sort of unconditional trust in life is so important. One of the things that Joseph Campbell said, who who found the hero's journey, essentially, said that, you know, often the hero has these gifts that are going to be given to him, things that that he needs or she needs for her journey, but that they won't let go of what they're holding on to in order to get those things. So they never actually get them. It's like the that's the idea behind the quote, you take one step toward the gods and they'll take 10 steps toward you, but you got to take the step. The step is faith. The step is trust, right? So it, it's part of, it's built into the structure of this whole thing. When I was getting out of the military, I did not feel ready to be a writer, right? I, I wrote one book and it wasn't that good. I, I really didn't feel ready. It was actually accepting that though, that would allow me to push myself into the places that are going to make me ready, right? That are going to force me to up level in some way. And what that means is part of you is going to have to die. The part of you that actually is, is stuck on, um, you know, the part of you that is, that has doubt, <laughs> the part of you that has really limited beliefs about what, what you're capable of and what's possible for you, the part of you that's like, I'm not ready, yeah, that's what's going to have to die, right? These emotional patterns and habits of what that we use to keep ourselves small, those are all going to have to be sacrificed in the underworld, for sure. Um, so another question for self-reflection here, what's the next thing you know that you have to do, that you know you should do, but just aren't doing. In my um, experience, we all have something like that, sort of sitting in the periphery. For some reason, we're not doing it, but we know we should, you know, we know we're supposed to. It's often the next step. Doesn't mean it's our call, but it's often the next step. Um, has anybody heard me talk about the difference between Cartesian and experiential knowing? Oh, okay, great. So we have this intellectually heavy culture. I mean, we always want to know what's the answer. I just want to know. And that's called Cartesian way of knowing that comes off Descartes, right? So this is post enlightenment thinking. So the Cartesian way of knowing, which is, I would submit the way that all of us try to know things is by saying, you know, if I just, if I know the right supporting arguments, I can know, right? So if I can um, arrange all of the things that I believe in the correct way, then I get to know the answer to that. And so really knowing is about, is about having all of the right supporting documents and supporting principles and information in line. So you see this going out where like debates you'll see is God real, right? So this is interesting because the intellect is asking a question that the intellect can't really answer. So it's like, well, I just, I don't, there's no way of knowing unless I put all of my things in line and then then I can say yes or no, God's real, right? But then the religious way of knowing says, well, that that's not how you get to know if there's anything real about that. Actually, you have to go there. You have to you have to change yourself in order to know. You have to have trust. You have to believe. You actually have to go through the fires of life to know what's on the other side of them. So what happens is we have this whole culture who, who thinks in this Cartesian way of knowing. And because of that, they're on the sidelines of their life constantly. And, and you hear this all the time where people say, what's my purpose? If I just knew my purpose, then I would go. Then I would go do the thing that I have to know. I just need to know it first. And the answer never comes. And the reason the answer never comes is because that's not how life works, right? An experiential knowing says, well, I'm gonna prioritize what's true and important for me. I'm gonna stand on my values. I'm gonna answer the call that's before me. And as I do, it's going to bring me into the underworld where I'm going to die and be reborn. And as I'm reborn, the insight that I'm going to get is the knowledge of why the hell that mattered in the first place, of the knowledge of my purpose and what I'm doing here, right? But I actually have to know. Like, for example, my meaning, the meaning I get from doing this kind of work isn't from this. I mean, this is really fun for me because I love talking about these ideas. But you know, sometimes after this, um, I'll have a client or, or somebody that was listening to my talks and they'll, they'll write me this really long message about 
um, how important this was for them or something, or how they're also thinking about killing themselves and how this was sort of an insight or a light in their journey, right? That's where I get my meaning. But you understand that I would never get that if I kept, if I stayed on the sidelines of my life, right? It's actually having to put myself out there and risk nobody at all coming to my workshops, right? It's actually having to spend time studying these ideas that have been really important to me with no real clear way of knowing how the hell I'm ever going to make this into a career, right? And so it's actually going through that pain, allowing these small versions of myself to die so that I can step into what I think I'm actually here for. And purpose is on the other side of that. I get the insight of why it mattered and what what's important about it as I'm faithful to the deepest sense of knowing that I have of who I am and why I'm here. So the experiential knowing says, no, you does not matter how long you stay on the sidelines, doesn't matter what questions you ask, because because being and knowing are different phenomena. And so you're trying to feel uh, grat you're trying to feel the sense of being through knowing and it's not going to happen you're never going to know no matter how much you overthink it right and we have a can we have a society of people that are constantly overthinking it but that's not life life's not up here if you just think like if you text me and i think about texting you back nothing happened i didn't text you back right life didn't matter but we do this up here all the time we live up here but the truth is that life is a, is a combination of thinking and then acting it out. And then we reflect on what happened and then we act it out again. And so we're in this relationship with our lives. It's this reciprocal relationship with our lives where we go forward and then we are really honest with ourselves about the fruits of what we get. If you'd have asked me what my call to adventure was in my 20s, I would have said something like building, uh, um, I don't know, I was trying to build a supplement company, right? And I was... Uh, so my, my purpose would have been something along getting materially rich and how many models I had under me or something like that, right? Signed under me. It's something really stupid. But at the time, I just didn't know. Now, the way that you get to know is when you act in your life and you reflect on how it feels to get what you just went for. You know, like one of the hardest parts of this, this journey for us is being is going after what we want, getting what we want, and then being dead ass honest with ourselves if it's not fulfilling, if it's not really our path. A lot of us go, we take the good opportunity, we get the good job, we make the good money, and we're not honest with ourselves about the fact that it's not, it's less than fulfilling, right? Remember, if it's asking you to be less of who you actually are, make your journey, no matter how good of a deal it is, right? Even if it's a great deal for other people, you have a value system, right? That's your internal constitution. And it's telling you what's important to you. And so if you don't listen to it, you then end up in a bit of an inner war, right? So uh, if, we're find our, if we find ourselves in an in internal struggle, internal war in some way, it's likely that there are some refusals afoot. There are some things we're refusing to acknowledge about ourselves and about our lives, maybe because of the pain. All right. So you have to leave the safety of the shore uh, and follow the, the internal promptings to actually know, right? That, and that's the thing about the hero's journey. It's like, we can talk about it, but you've got to go, right? Um, the call can also be understood as an awakening of the self, right? Remember how I talked about this idea that the soul comes into, the soul incarnates with something of the divine to bring into the world. That's a mythical motif, right? So, so your, your job to, as being here is to incarnate the divine, right? And so that is to bring what's real about you and manifest it into the world because the world needs it in some way. And so what's happening is, and we could talk about this in psychological terms, actually, we don't even need mythical terms. You are aware of about five to 7% of who you actually are. Okay, now this is difficult. We have to we have to take this on faith at first because you don't see what you don't see, right? So you're like, no, that's not true. Um, but your unconscious processes, all of your all of your unconscious material, your soul, right? There's about 95% of you that you don't actually have access to. So your conscious everyday experience of yourself, that's your ego, okay? That's your ego consciousness. It's your everyday experience of your life. A call 
is happening. And oftentimes we follow the ego into all kinds of situations that are wrong for us because we're going for material or something that's not that important to us actually, right, into our values. And so what's happening when you're getting a call is that destiny, right, your fate is pulling you toward it. This soul, this 95% of you that's not, that's unconscious is starting to wake up. Now, that's a lot, right? 95% versus 5%. It's the finitude of the ego versus, versus the big self, right? You could say small S self and capital S self. And so what happens, though, is if that starts to wake up, you start to ask the real question, like, who am I? What am I doing here? Like, what am I actually caring for? And you don't answer the call. Now you have all of that energy turning against yourself, right? And it will tear you apart, right? So look for places in your life where you have resentment. You, you'll never satisfy a resentment that you actually have. It won't be satisfied. Right? The two things you can do. You can accept it, like fully, fully consciously accept it if you have a resentment, um, or you can put a boundary in your life so that you don't actually have to deal with it. But those are the only two things you do. You can't just keep stuffing it under the surface, right? So what's happening is this, uh, the, the larger part of yourself is actually waking up to what you're here to do. And so the call won't stop coming. It'll come in different ways. You know, we'll go through the pain of not answering it. We'll go through the pain of not being who we really are. Um, and the more we do that, the more internal division that we're going to suffer. So here's a thought experiment for you. Think about at 12 years old, looking in the mirror, think about looking at yourself right now in the mirror at 12 years old. I, I like, I can think of the exact mirror I would be looking in, in my mom's house. Now think about looking at yourself in the mirror at 19 years old or 20 years old, 21 years old, okay? Now, how about 28, 30, however old you are now? Look in the mirror. Now, who are you really? Because part of you is seeing who you are in the mirror and you're growing, right? Your body's changing. You're a completely different version of yourself in the world. But the person that's looking, the person that sees who you are, there's something of you that's never changed, huh? There's something of you that that's just you, that you know is you, right? That witness, that's the recognition that there is something of you that's more than you in this world, obviously, right? You can feel it when you think about that uh, perspective. And so that asking that question, who am I really? That might be a call to adventure for sure. For a lot of people it is. For me, it was, I think. Um, but just having a little bit of, you know, holding on loosely to your ideas of yourself is kind of what I'm what I'm trying to put forward, holding on loosely to your idea of who you really are, so that you can have space for the, the mystery of your life to actually come forward. Because one of the things we're presenting here, if we really trust our life, if we really trust that the material we need to grow is going to present itself to us, then what we're doing is we are trusting that there is, we're letting go of the wheel, we don't know where it's all going to go. We do our best now, we answer the call now, we prioritize what's real about us now, we accept the suffering because perhaps there's a better version of us on the other side of it, but we can't control where it's going and the ego function wants to control where it's going. Well, what are the benefits over there? What's the job gonna be? What's it my life gonna look like if I answer this call? What I'm gonna submit to you is that you don't get to know any of that, unfortunately, if it's a real adventure, right? This is the unknown. Cool. Um, yeah, so cognitive dissonance, right? This is the first sign that you're going to go through transformation. Um, so often our call is coming through or amidst confusion about our lives and what we're doing. Joseph Campbell put it this way. He said, the familiar life horizon has been outgrown. The old concepts, ideals, and emotional patterns no longer fit. The time for a passing of the threshold is at hand. So I remember one time, it was actually during the Super Bowl, I was in a bar, I was drinking with a, my girlfriend at the time and some friends. And I remember looking at this Bud Light in my hand and just thinking, I fucking hate this. I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like, I'm not fulfilled by any of this. Right? I'm just not, it, just like the time in my life had, had passed me by, right? So it, it's like I reached this point where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but this ain't it. Right? So this cognitive dissonance of not really knowing why we're in the situations that we're in. And then it gets worse because if you do start to grow, 
right? And the squad doesn't level up with you. Now you are now you have a real situation on your hands, right? Because you don't really know where to be, right? If you find that you've grown, you probably have to find a new place to be planted. But it actually takes a while for that new place to emerge for you to find it. So you have this feeling of being detached from your old life and have no idea who you are or where you should be. Right. Sometimes we're in that area of life and sometimes our call is that the reason that happens is because we are being called and we might not be able to discern it. But again, we have to trust that it's there because here's what's going to happen. You try to go back to your old life and no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to accept it. You won't be able to accept going backwards. Consciousness never goes backwards. It only goes forward. And that's true even when it's painful, right? It's, there's something about consciousness that wants to grow more complex. It wants to expand. And so, um, and we can say this, we could talk about this in another way too, right? Have you heard of the reticular activating system before? Anybody heard of that, right? So, uh, okay, if you buy a red Jeep, you'll start seeing red Jeeps everywhere, right? Not that there are more red Jeeps appearing because you bought one, but that you are specifically the way our consciousness works is by scanning all of reality and taking things out of it that are important and devaluing other things. And so you just, because now you're thinking about it and seeing, you're just going to see them more, right? They weren't more produced. So this is what happens when we grow, right? We start to change who we are, but it's going to take a while for that, for us to come into more harmony with our reality, where we start selecting the situations and people and opportunities that are right for us. Right, so there's that, again, that feeling of being detached a little bit from your life. Um, another way that we, the call shows up in our lives is what I call the sacred no, right? So we live in a culture of people pleasing, right? No doubt about it. I don't know if you guys feel that, but I, I certainly do. And we can look at trait agreeableness as a personality trait, but then we can also look at the societal value of self, of sacrificing who you are for, for other people, right? Like we almost tie, at least in my family, like we almost tie nobility into deprioritizing who you really are. Like it's noble to uh, do what you have to do, so to speak. And I think that there is some nobility in that, but if it's costing you who you really are, it's probably not what you're here for. You're probably just sacrificing the best of who you are, because you're not serving the world by being a watered down version of who you could be, right? And so the, I, I've yet to make find a person who can make a case for self for that kind of um, people pleasing actually being helpful, because if you want to be of service to the people in your life, well, then you want to be the best version of who you are, you want to be the most full you because that's how you can really serve you want to know what your gifts are what your needs are. And you want to be able to give those to yourself so that you can give stuff to other people. Most of us, though, have, are walking around with very little idea about who we actually are. And we're always giving and the world's always taking. So it kind of feels like we're like two inches below the surface of the water. And in that case, the word no might be the thing that sends you into the unknown. The word yes might be a refusal of your call, right? So this is that moment in Alice in Wonderland where she is, uh, she's like getting, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, but they keep being like, oh, she's the wrong Alice. She's not the right person, you know, she, and she's like, sometimes she's too small, sometimes she's too big. And then there's a moment about halfway through where she's like, no, no, I, I'm told I'm too small. I'm not the right Alice. I'm too big. I'm this, I'm that, no more. This is my dream. This is my reality. And this is what I'm going to say. And, uh, and so sometimes it's standing up for ourselves. It's invoking the sacred no that actually calls us on our adventure because we just don't feel right about it. We don't feel in our body that we, we can go any further with the status quo, you know? Um, and again, right, what's that going to do when you say no? It's going to cause all sort of ripples, right? All kinds of ripples in the world. And so, um, Yeah, I don't want to tell this story because we don't have a ton of time, but I'll forget. All right, so Michael Mead, uh, who wrote about a lot of myth, um, he got drafted to go to Vietnam in the 60s, and he didn't want to. He's, he just was like, I don't, you know, I don't think I want to, I don't have a reason to kill these people. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not invested in this war, okay? A lot of people felt that. And then, but he, he did it anyway, because his culture was pulling him into it. You know, you have to, you'll go to jail. So he does. And then he's in training and he's being taught to attack a hill, 
and he's he's like so why are we attacking this hill and they're like that's not important to you what's important is that you attack the hill and he's like why am i specifically attack i'm the one attacking the hill what do you mean it's not important to me of course it is and they're like no that's not your job here right and so he invoked the no he's like well i'm not doing it like this is ridiculous i'm not doing it i'm not going forward anymore and that throws him into his entire life he ends up he's a speaker and writer now he wrote a book called the water of life which is a great book about myth and he talks about this whole experience in there but you know we just never know how standing up for ourselves is actually going to turn out in the long term what that's going to ask of us or where it's going to send us so it could be that saying yes is refusing your particular call um you know, sometimes also too, right, be just being open to this idea that we're cultivating this trust in life and that everybody has, um, that everything that is presented to you actually means something in your journey, actually has something of it that you need. Um, this means that like a blunder, happenstance, or accidental encounter, which happens often in fairy tales and myth, that that might be the way that you're actually called. So you meet a person who introduces you to a person who sends you a link to a podcast, right? And then that podcast, for some reason, rouses your attention. Right? Nothing is insignificant. You watch a movie and something about it calls you. You're like, whoa, that was interesting. Now, there's, a, there's something we do psychologically, which is called positive projection. In order to keep ourselves safe, to keep ourselves in the known world, we tend to take qualities that are are good about ourselves and we project them onto other people. So we see the, this is what is behind hero worship fundamentally, but we see like the hero in the movie and we think, uh, well, that's them, that's not me, right? But the truth is if, if something in you is expanding, if something in you is feeling called, it's trying to wake that same energy up in, in you, right? So, so when we start to live in this way, we're opening up to the fact that nothing is insignificant. All of our feelings actually matter. Um, if you listen to this week's podcast, I talked a bit about that, so I won't go into it too much more. Um, so anyway, just honoring those feelings, right? Honoring those feelings of internal expansion. I'm going to tell this one quick story. You guys have an extra like 15 minutes here and do Q&A. Cool. Okay. So I'll tell it. And if you have to leave, no worries. You can jump on the audio. So this myth came out of Plato. I talk about this myth a lot because there's so much significance in our life. But um, here's what happens. This guy, Er, E-R-R, he's on this great battlefield and he's all of a sudden feels his consciousness pulled into the underworld. And when he gets into the underworld, he hears a voice that tells him, remember what you see because you're going to have to tell other people about this. And as he looks, he sees this uh, pod of souls that are on their way to incarnate in the world. And where they're coming out of is called the axis mundi. So the axis mundi is this line that goes all the way from the heavens to the pit of the earth, to the core of the earth. And the souls are coming out of the axis mundi, right? And so that tells us that the idea that's being presented there is that there's something of the divine in you, right? And that you have a mission on earth. That's why you're coming out of the axis mundi and going into the earth. And what happens is the souls come upon the three sisters of fate. So the first, uh, Cool. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate you. Um, so the first sister of fate gives them their lot in life. This is the this is your family. This is the shit you're going to have to deal with when you get there, right? All the stuff, your lot in life, right? We accept. The second sister gives them a twist of fate, right? So the twist of fate is like, you don't know how it's going to go once you get up there. Things you're going to be presented with things that you have no idea about. That's your twist of fate. Then the third sister, soul goes to the third sister, and the third sister makes it so he can't go backwards. None of this is reversible. You must go forward, always. There's only forward. And then what happens is that the final sister takes the twist of fate, and they're met with their spirit and their genius, right? Your genius is, what's, is what you have to give to the world that, that other people don't, right? So it's like something like the over the intersection of what you're really good at and what you really enjoy doing. So if you're good at it and you don't enjoy it, it's not your genius. If you're uh, if you enjoy doing it but you really suck at it, it might not be your genius, right? So your genius is somewhere of, around the thing that's amazing about you, okay? And so your twist of fate is tied to the genius, 
And then they go to the uh, river of oblivion where they're going to go across the river where they're going to forget all the things that just happened and they'll be born into the world. So what's being presented there is the idea that that the thing that you've had to go through in this life and the things that you will go through that you couldn't account for that you didn't know about that maybe felt unfair that maybe felt like bullshit are actually tied to your genius they're actually tied to what you're here to do in some way that's what's being presented in that myth and so i would i would invite you to reflect on that a little bit reflect on this idea that the things that you've gone through in your life are somehow tied to what you're supposed to do with your life. Your specific way of bringing the genius into manifestation, of incarnating the divine, has something to do with your twist of fate. The thing that you went through that was probably bullshit, right? This isn't that we condone, right, like evil or wrong or things that we've had to go through. It's not that we condone them. It's that we are the ones, is that our genius, our spirit, are the ones with the last say in how reality actually turns out. We have the possibility of taking those things and making them mean something. And that's what I meant at the beginning when I said, you know, as humans, it's like our, it's the gift that we have that other animals don't have. We get to add purpose to our pain, right? That should never be overlooked. So a couple closing notes then. Um, Nervous and excited are the same emotion depending on the day, right? So some days, the call, when you think about your call, you might feel really nervous about it. What I would say is that that's also excitement, right? It's going to be both. Remember the quote I said at the beginning, it's an ambivalence. It's like, not only is it, Carl Jung said, that which you want most will be found where you're least willing to look, right? So it's like, not only do you know that you want it and need it, but it's also where you don't want to go, right? So just realizing that that nervous and excited energy those are the same thing, but it just depends on how you, how you uh, um, interact with them, you know? One of the things that Freud said is that all moments of anxiety reproduce the painful feelings of that first separation from the mother at birth. Like the, there's something of that, you know, all of our pain and anxiety, there's something of that first separation from the paradisal womb into time and space and air and harm, right? And so conversely, though, that means that all moments of separation from the old and new birth are going to produce anxiety. Okay, so uh, just be willing to accept that a little bit about if you're close, if you're feeling that anxiety, you're probably close to new birth. Couple things because the world likely won't understand make peace with being understood so that you can get to doing whatever it is you're here to do don't look for the marathon scenario anybody here run a marathon you know there, when you run a marathon there's people packed on either side cheering you on the whole time that's not this right that's not what i'm talking about actually it's the opposite right actually the people that that are the closest to you often are going to treat you as if you're abdicating responsibility you know so so it's that's why this is so internal you know that's why i had you check in with here before we started that's why i said you have to prioritize your values what's real about you your no your sacred no because the journey is yours it's going to bring you into the fullness of who you are the other people in your life are going to be the beneficiaries of you having gone through your journey because they get to be the they get to be with the best version of you but they're not going to, they're not always going to cheer you on at the beginning, you know, and that's just something we have to kind of come to grips with. Um, what we have to rather do, though, is trust that the right people and provisions will be there when we need them, right? This is that idea of letting go of the old and just on trust, hoping that the new shows up when we need it. Um, and then the last thing that I have is notice where you're at war with yourself right i talked about that a little bit but often when we feel that internal division there's a refusal going on you know i think about the the wars that i toward the end of my career in the military that i uh experienced with myself like just the the wrestling over what the hell i was doing with my life and it's like well you were you answered one call you know, and uh, you're refusing the next call. And the thing that's interesting about our lives is that we're going to live many heroes journeys throughout them. Now, 
you might say that your entire life is going to be one big hero's journey. It's like your life is a gift and you're unwrapping one part of it every year, just a little piece. You don't really know why it matters, but you're unwrapping it as a piece. And right as you die, you're going to see the entire gift laid before you, but not until then. But until then, you answer the calls that are before you, not because you know why, not because you know where they're going, because that's part of the human experience. That's what we do. We answer what's real for us. And, and the gift we get for having gone through the suffering, for having been broken open, is the expansiveness to feel the joy and the ecstasy and the love that's on the other side of it. But we can't reject one and think we're going to experience the other. So a lot of people are stuck in lives where they can't feel, they can't feel the goodness that's all around them. And often that's because we've patterned not feeling. And we've patterned rejecting the suffering. We've patterned rejecting these things. And so it's opening ourselves up, cultivating that genuine trust that this is all happening for us in some way, even if we don't know why or how, right? It's not that we get to know the answer. It's that we trust that there is one. And that's how we end up on our hero's journey.